Well, good evening. I want you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4 for the uh, theme verse of our uh, series of meetings on the disciplines of the Christian life. And uh, we want to just kind of go over this verse again just to make sure that by the end of these uh, three messages, uh, we'll have it clear in our minds. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7. And then I want to do another couple of short readings as well. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7. It says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. <clears throat> For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable to all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And then if you would just turn with me, please, to Psalm 119, because I want to think about the discipline connected with the word of God in the believer's life. And so Psalm 119, verse 36 uh, there's lots of verses we could read from Psalm 119 uh, on the importance of the Word of God, but I just want to read these verses, 36 through 38. Very telling verses, very relevant to us. It says, Incline my heart to thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Kind of very easy, isn't it, to be caught up with the American dream and accumulating stuff and just uh, living for this world. And he says, I want you to incline my heart the psalmist says to the to, to your testimonies to the word of God and and not let me be caught up with with covetousness and and just kind of the accumulation of junk verse 37 he says turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity how much time do we spend with our eyes beholding vanity that's a good question isn't it internet television we spend a lot of time with our eyes beholding stuff that a hundred years from now is going to be completely irrelevant. It's vanity. And he says, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken or revive thou me in thy way. I think that we need that, don't we? Do you sense the need of reviving in your own heart and amongst the saints? Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Kind of lost that sense, haven't we, of the fear of God today? The Bible kind of emphasizes the importance of it, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. And uh, he says, I, I want to be established in your word, and I want to have a proper understanding of who you are and who I am and, and operate in the realm of the fear of God. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's, it's really very important. So, so the word of God is very critical, and I want to just kind of focus on that today. But let's just kind of remind ourselves of our verse. We said it's, it's the idea of exercise thyself rather unto godliness is the idea of discipline yourself and it's the, the language of the athletic arena it's the, the language of the man who's preparing for the, for the, the event and, and he is disciplining himself because he wants to win this prize and so he puts himself through lots of rigor lots of discipline because he's got an objective he wants to get the prize and what he's saying is that in the very same way that an athlete does that and he said, you know, bodily exercise is valuable. And we understand that. We're learning that more and more, right? The doctor's going to tell you, get out and get moving and keep moving. Exercise is, is profitable. But he says, godliness is profitable to all things. Not just for this life, 
promise of the, but also a promise for the life that now is and that which is to come. It has value to the life that it was, which is to come. And so we, we want to just encourage ourselves to be disciplined. And, and this idea of discipline yourself rather to godliness, I just say this, you will never drift into being a godly person. The, the, the general tenor of the heart of man is away from God. And if you drift, it will be away from God, not toward God. That's just the way it is. Reality. So, so in other words, if you want to pursue godliness, that, that, then it must be a discipline in your life. We said prayer is a discipline. It's hard work. It's, you'll never become a prayer warrior just by drifting. You, it, it's something that you have to determine and purpose to do. And when it comes to the Word of God... To have a knowledge of the scriptures and a working knowledge of the scriptures, it just isn't going to happen. There has to be discipline. And we want to think about, uh, you know, kind of the Word of God talks about the discipline in terms of an athlete, but it also describes us as Christians, as well as being athletes, as soldiers. And, and when it talks about soldiers, it talks about enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and a soldier is disciplined as well, isn't he? And, and if he's not disciplined, he, he's going to be taken out at the first battle that he faces. That's why they put you through boot camp and have you doing all these silly things that seemingly to you, but it's so that when you're out there in the battle, you're not going to be knocked out first minute. You have to have discipline. And, uh, you know, you've heard the phrase, the army marches on its stomach. Have you ever heard that? One of the important things about an army is keeping them fed. And we are fed spiritually how? On the Word of God. And so we, we need to make sure that we are properly fed spiritually. And how's that going to happen? Look at First Peter for a moment, please. First Peter, we're going to look at different verses tonight on this idea of discipline in the Scriptures. First Peter chapter 1. And I want to think about the importance of the Word of God. Just like prayer, remember we said the Christian life actually began with a prayer, didn't it? Lord, save me, or some words to that effect. In other words, at some point in your experience, you came to that realization, you needed a Savior, and you, you used words of utterance to God to say, I need you, I need salvation, I want to be, whatever, whatever words you used. And we've got to be careful about formulas, because what we need is Christ, a person. We're not going to talk, caught up with a formula, we're caught up with a person. But, but we, at some point, we have to express to that person, we need his saving work personally. But also, the, um, the Christian life began with the Word of God, didn't it? First Peter 1 verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. If I was to ask you to give your testimony tonight, I am certain that at some point you would mention the scriptures. Maybe this verse or that verse. For me it was John 3.16. God used that verse. used a lot of other scriptures, but the verse that really uh, was instrumental in my salvation was John 3.16. Because the Bible says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. The Christian life begins not only with expressing our need of Christ's salvation in prayer, but our awareness of our need of salvation of Christ in prayer comes through the word of God, right? And so being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. 
And then he says, For all flesh is, is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. And then he says this, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, and here's our verse, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. So we're saved, first of all, by the reception of the truth of the word of God in our hearts, right? Where um, we said faith comes by hearing. Uh, Acts 2.41, those that gladly received his word were baptized and they continued steadfastly. So the word of God is instrumental in our salvation, but it's also instrumental in our development and growth, isn't it? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And, and it's, it's true, isn't it, that we, we need the word of God in our early Christian experience, just like a newborn babe needs milk, its mother's milk, in order to thrive and be healthy and to develop, it needs milk. And, if it, and, and what happens if you have a baby that doesn't eat you have two options it's either sick or it's dead isn't that true it's one or the other it, you know what what amazes me is I meet people and they tell me they're Christians and they never read their Bibles and I say straight away you're either sick or dead I mean I'm not being un unkind I'm just telling it like it is right if you have no appetite for the word of God and you're not you're not like this new babe that needs the word of God and recognizes your need of it like a, a baby we, we had five kids I know a little bit about this they let you know they want their food they develop their vo vocal cords pretty early on and they let you know they want, want their food and they realize I mean, their survival is dependent on their getting the food your spiritual survival is dependent on you getting the food. It is. And uh, it's not just then, it's now too, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're healthy. Part of the reason is we eat. And if suddenly you stopped eating, pretty soon you would, first of all, you'd look a lot slimmer, but eventually you would fade away and you would die. I watched my mother. She had a couple of strokes. She couldn't swallow. She couldn't uh, take food in. And uh, basically, they kind of gave up her hope in the English hospital that she was in. And basically, she starved to death. She wasn't getting any nourishment. And it's sad, isn't it, when you meet Christians, and they're involved in lots of religious activity, but if it's not based on the Word of God, you will shrivel up spiritually. That's the way it is. And so I'm asking the hard question today, what is your appetite for the Word of God? Uh, because um, it's easy to kind of look at others, but we've got to look in our own hearts and ask ourselves, do I have an appetite for the Word of God? How is my ongoing desire to understand and apply the Word of God and ingest it? What did the Lord Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me get, get you to turn to the book of Job, please. Uh, just a verse I've been thinking a lot about recently. Very challenging verse. Uh, early on in our Bibles in terms of chronology, the book of Job. And, and yet, what a telling statement. Job 23 and verse 12. Job 23 and verse 12. <clears throat> Job says this, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. Then he says this, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more 
than my necessary food. Wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? I have valued, esteemed, estimated that this is really valuable to me. I have esteemed the words of his mouth of greater value than my necessary food. Now, I don't have to ask you, do you eat three times a day? Because I know you do. Most of us, right? Unless there's something wrong with you. You know, we have this inbuilt system of alarm. I, I know when it's 12 o'clock, whether I've got a watch on or not. Right? It's time to eat. And uh, uh, we just, that's it. That's just the way it is. And, and I know when it's supper time too. And, and, it's, and, and I know when it's breakfast time. And, and I have this desire to eat. And at the same time, Job says, as much as I value the food that I, my necessary food, and it is necessary, I, I esteem or value the words of his mouth even greater than that. And, and so the question is, how are we doing in terms of our attitude toward the word of God? And again, I say that it requires certain discipline. Now, uh, also, I just want to think about this. We, we looked at First Peter 2. He talks about the milk and uh, the newborn babes. Look at Hebrews, please, for a moment. Chapter 5. Very familiar passage. One that's always impressed me as I've read it. And uh, Hebrews 5, verses 10 through 14, uh, where he's describing and talking about Melchizedek, who is a beautiful Old Testament type or picture of the Lord Jesus. And he says in verse 10, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And what he's basically saying is that milk is appropriate when you're a baby. And nothing cuter, right? Newborn baby kind of either being fed by its mother or the bottle or whatever. But it's, it's kind of very appropriate, very cute. But like when you're 17 and you're still kind of going for the bottle, it's hideous, isn't it? When you're 25 and you still want the bottle, it's sick. You know, I mean, if our children had not weaned off the bottle by the time they were 17, you know what we'd have done? We'd have taken them to the doctors and we'd said, this kid is sick. Doctor, what's wrong with him? And yet it's possible to be in an evangelical church, yes, a New Testament assembly, and to have been saved for 17 and 20 years and still be on the ABCs of the Christian life. And know nothing of typology, which is considered to be strong meat, by the way, in this passage, isn't it? People ridicule typology. Paul esteems it and says, this is strong meat. And all I'm saying is that somehow it's acceptable in our circles to, to, to continue to be a milk drinker when years ago you ought to have made that transference and got onto strong meat. And it's sick. Sorry, if I, you want me to soft pedal it, you got the wrong guy. I just, I, I, it just astounds me that I meet people and they're asking questions and they've been in assembly fellowship for years and they're the basic questions that ought to have been answered and dealt with 20 years ago. And they're still on these issues. I say, what's wrong with them? It's wrong. It's not acceptable. So how do we get to the point where we're no longer a baby? 
Well, one of the things is the systematic daily reading of the scriptures. What's been traditionally known as the quiet time, where we begin our day with the word of God. I, I, I really thank the Lord. When I first got saved um, in England, there was a group called the National Young Life Campaign. Nothing to do with young life here in the States, but it was a young people's group that was heavily into discipleship. And one of the things that they told you is, now you're a Christian, you have to read through the Bible in a year. And they gave you a reading scheme, and they knew what day you should be on what passages. And so they'd say, what did you read this morning? If you gave the wrong answer, they'd say, come on, you've got to get with the program. And it was just like, I just assumed that's what Christians did. They read through the Bible every year. So I got on that track from the very beginning. I really thank the Lord for that. I'm thankful for their accountability, for their encouragement to read through the Scriptures. I can't imagine going through the whole year now without reading about Ezekiel. Or Zechariah, or Zephaniah. You know, or Abraham and his wonderful experience with God, right? There's something wonderful. Now, can I ask you, do you read through the Bible in a year? Have you, is there anybody here who's never, I don't want you to show your hands, but, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing is that I meet people who have never read through the entire Bible. And they're Christians. They're in church. Uh, they regularly come to evangelical Bible leagues, and they have never, ever read consecutively through the Scriptures. I'm thinking God has gone to all this trouble of, of c communicating and inspiring the scriptures and preserving the word of God and giving it to you at tremendous cost, men giving their lives so you could have the Bible in your own language and you haven't even bothered to read through it once. Now I'm just trying to throw out a challenge today because we're talking about discipline. You want to be disciplined? Read through the scriptures. And it's really easy. You can just download off the internet these days a reading screen. Here's mine. I use, uh, it's Robert Murray McShane, uh, Scottish uh, minister who developed this scheme. And uh, it just uh, four chapters a day take you through the entire Old Testament once. Psalms, Proverbs, uh, and the New Testament twice in a year, in four chapters a day. I read through it twice a year. Uh, and uh, it's eight chapters a day. It takes about 30 to 40 minutes. So instead of watching Fox News 25 times during the day, use one of those times to read the scriptures. Because you know what? The news didn't change. I, you know, I'm in airports all the time, and I go from one airport to the other, and I look at the screen, and it's the same old stories they're playing all over and over again. You only need to do it once, and you're done for the day. Okay? Not unless If something big happens, they'll let you know about it. You know. But read your Bible. Read the good news and make it your aim to consecutively read through the scriptures. And you know, it's amazing. As I read through it now, uh, it's every single time I read through this, I, I find connections because uh, how the Bible fits together. And I'm reading a passage here and then I read a reading over here and it just throws so much light on the passage here. And I, I find for all the commentaries I've got, there's nothing more instructive than just reading the scriptures. In fact, a lot of the heresy and the problems that are coming into the church are books that people write and ignoring the book. If we spent more time in the book and stopped reading other books, and I'm not saying be literate, illiterate of other books. I've got a big library and I read a lot. But, but I tell you what, this has got to be given first priority. In fact, if you read this, you'll be able to suss out and smell the rat in those very easily if you read this. 
And that's the, that's the key. Just get in the Word and read it systematically, uh, reading the Word of God. Uh, it's important because we want to hear from God, right? Remember we said communication, it's two-way. One way, when we pray, we're communicating with Him, expressing our heart, our need, our love, our adoration, or whatever to Him. When, when we read the Word of God, we're asking for Him to communicate with us. And He does. It's through the Word of God. He speaks to us. We're going through a difficult time, and often God will bring a verse to your mind, and it'll just be such an encouragement at that moment moment in time and it's just what you need uh, faced with temptation a verse will come to you as you're reading and it'll be just what you need to keep you on the on the right path right uh, his word is, is powerful in fact it's through the word of god romans 12 2 that we renew our minds right and our minds need to be renewed because out there in the world our minds have been filled with satan's lies all day long right the world system and all its lies and all the rest of it is bombarding us. And you need to get your head on straight every single day to think God's thoughts after Him. In other words, to, to, to get your mind lined up with God's view on issues. See, every single day the news will tell you that, you know, homosexuality is legitimate, it's okay, it's perfectly fine. Read what God says. It'll kind of straighten you out in no uncertain terms. It'll tell you that this is right or that is right. And you read the Word of God, it'll just kind of straighten you out. It's very valuable. So we need to be constantly renewing our minds from the corrupting philosophies of the world. So get a reading scheme. And, uh, and, and you know what? You can start now in the middle of the year. It's okay. You, know, you, just, you don't have to wait till January the 1st. Because you know what? If you wait till January the 1st, you won't do it. So you could start in the middle of the month. It don't make any difference. I, I, I just finished uh, my six monthly reading through. And I, I, I start September and go to April and then start April and go to September. And that's just the way it worked with me. That's when I started on this going through twice a year scheme was September. And so that's how I do it. And, and, and I finish in April and I start again. And it's just fine. It works just fine. It doesn't really matter. I don't even look at the date. I just look at tick, tick, those pages and go across. And, and it's tremendous. And so get a Bible reading scheme. George Mueller. Anybody heard of George Mueller? Okay, George Mueller. Uh, orphans in Bristol, England, a German. Uh, who ha God used him tremendously. In fact, uh, if you want to uh, look at YouTube, they have a tremendous video called Robber of the Cruel Streets, which is a docudrama of the life of George Mueller. And it's powerful, really excellent, well worth, you, uh, worth looking at. But this is what he said in his, in his uh, life story. He said this, The vigor of our Christian life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. I solemnly state this from the experience of 54 years. He said, The first three years after conversion, I neglected the Word of God. Since I began to search it diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. I have read the Bible through 100 times and always with increasing delight. Each time it seems like a new book to me. Great has been the blessing from the consecutive, diligent, daily study. I look upon it as a day lost when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Now, did you get the math there? He said, uh, 54 years experience, first three years wasted. I didn't do any re consecutive reading of the Bible. And he said, I've read it through now 100 times. So twice a year, he went through the scriptures. Now, do you think, I mean, it's interesting, people talk about uh, John Nelson Darby and Robert Cleaver Chapman, and they talk about Muller, and they say, well, you know, Darby, you know, he's the, the apostle of hope, because he emphasized the blessed hope. 
of the church. And, and then this Chapman, he's the apostle of love because, because his great emphasis was on loving the brethren. And certainly was, and Muller was called the apostle of faith, right? Because he fed all these orphans. And how did he do it? No appeals for funds, just simply speaking to the Lord in believing prayer. Do you think there would be any relationship between him being in the word of God so much, reading through it consecutively twice a year, and the faith that he had? The reason I say that is, if faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, we think about that in terms of initial faith. What about developed faith? See a connection there? You see, in other words, as I read through and become acquainted with this book, and see how God dealt with a rascal called Jacob. I say, well, if God, you could do that with him. You know what? You could do it with a rascal called Mike Atwood. Right? And, And so, in other words, as I see God's dealings and God's faithfulness with men... I I say, I can trust a God like this. He really is faithful. He does keep His promises. He he is somebody that I can say, Yes, Lord, I can trust you for this. And I believe that the more we're in the Word of God, the more God will use it to increase our confidence in Him and His ability to make huge difference through our lives and in our lives on a daily basis. And I think George Mueller is an example of that. Also... As you read, of course, we want to read with understanding. Uh, do we read every, understand everything we read the first time? No, we don't. And that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God is that you can read a, a, a chapter and you might have read it through a hundred times. And you read it again, 101. And all of a sudden, something jumps off the page to you and you just haven't seen it before. And you say, wow. See, it's like that with teaching the Word, isn't it? I mean, uh, there's books I've taught through and then I'll hear another brother speak on the same book. And I'll say, how did I miss that? That's so obvious. It's really there. How did I miss it? Well, it's because the Word of God, we can all study it for the rest of our days, and, and we can give ourselves to it. And the, the truth, there's so much depth to the Word of God. We're just kind of wading in the shallows, aren't we? I, I think when we get to glory, you know, I think of what the Queen of Sheba said when she came to see Solomon. She said, the half has not been told me. I think when we see the Lord Jesus in all his glory, even though we've been in the scriptures all these years, we're going to just say, well, the half has not been told me. And so what I'm saying is there's enough in here to keep you going for the rest of your life. And so read, and of course, uh, you're maybe young and starting at this, uh, ask yourself questions. That's what I do. I write down questions on a notepad. What does this mean? And then I start trying to get answers. You know, I become a detective, Sherlock Holmes. Okay, well, uh, how's this word used elsewhere in the Bible? Uh, uh, Can I look up in a dictionary and see what does this word mean? And and so, you know, just kind of, just pursue it. You can go in all kinds of uh, different directions, but it's a tremendous thing. And then, not just reading the scriptures, but personal Bible study. Which is just more than just a casual reading, but it's, it's 2 Timothy 2.15, studying to show yourself approved. And that word study means strive diligently, make every effort to show yourself to prove unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, a word of truth. And so the idea is that you're going deeper, you're studying the word of God. And again, um, there's lots of tools out there today. Uh, it, I, I go and uh, stay with different people's homes, and some of the guys, they love to show me their workshops. Now, it's wasted on me. I'm the most, world's most unpractical man. Well, Randy Amos and I kind of fight over that. Who's the most unpractical? But, but pretty unpractical. And so they show me these amazing workshops with all these bench tools and stuff. And it's just lost on me. I don't know what they're talking about. I might as well be speaking in tongues. I have no idea what they're talking about. And I say, well, show me a library. And they take me into the library and they've got maybe two books. A Bible and Bill McDonald's commentary. And that's it. 
And I say, well, listen, you can invest in all these tools. Can't you invest in some tools that will help you understand the Word of God a bit better? Nowadays, of course, it's computer, isn't it? Um, Esod, Maxod, all these kind of different things. But there's certain basic things. A good study Bible, a concordance, a Bible dictionary, a Bible encyclopedia. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia is tremendous. Like, I don't know much about the flora and fauna of the Holy Land. And so when the Lord Jesus cursed the fig tree and he said it wasn't the season for figs, how do I know what the season for figs is? I'm not a horticulturist. But the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia will tell you all about the fig tree and when the figs were present on the tree and when they, where they were, they, they, how they, they, the, the, if there was leaves, there should be fruit because the fruit came in the axles of the tree. And it tells you all this stuff and it helps you understand Unless you can afford to go on a trip to Israel, then you can just see it firsthand. But if you can, a dictionary is a good way of doing it, right? There was this tools out there, but along with, you've got to have the desire to know the Word of God. And um, uh, I don't know how it works in, in this assembly, but our assembly, we have every Wednesday night our, our midweek meeting, and we, we meet at 7, and we pray from 7 to 745 and then from 7.45 to 8.30, we have a conversational Bible study. We have two guys sit at the front. They kind of moderate, and we work our way through books in the Bible. We've finished Judges. We're doing uh, Philippians right now. And everybody in the assembly is encouraged to study the portion that is due to be discussed. And the amazing thing is they do. And I, I would say on an average Wednesday night, we could have eight to ten guys who could lead the study because they know the passage that well. And then we sit down and we discuss it, and it's tremendous. And, you know, it's, it, when you ever study to teach something, if you ever taught a Sunday school class, you know a lot more than your students ever get, right? Because you're, you're studying and you're kinda, you, you, can't, you don't have time to give everything you've just got. And, and so if everybody studied in an assembly, what would the assembly be like? If everybody's studying every Wednesday to master this passage, do you think they'd know their Bibles pretty well? I think they really would. Uh, this, what got me going on this was, you know Bernard Osborne, right? Everybody here knows Bernard Osborne. He came to speak in Kilkenny in Ireland, and uh, we had a remembrance meeting, and uh, before the remembrance meeting, somebody asked him, what are you going to preach on this morning? And he said, I have no idea. And everybody's in a state of shock, you know. Some of them were having heart palpitations and all the rest of it. And, and they said, what do you mean you have no idea? He said, whatever theme comes out of the Lord's Supper, I'm going to speak on that. So there was a theme came out of the Lord's Supper and Bernard Osborne stood up and from Genesis to Revelation he traced that theme and he never missed a beat. And everybody sat there, mouths wide open, saying, wow. And of course all the guys in the assembly, how did that happen? How did you get to know all the Bibles? And he said, when I was a young man, our assembly had a midweek Bible reading and one of the brethren told me, study and prepare as if the meeting depends on you. And he said, I did it. And I've done it ever since. That's how he knows his Bible so well. And that could be, that could be us, right? It, it really could if we're serious about giving ourselves to the Scriptures. <clears throat> I remember going to a, one of these Florida men's Bible studies, and he spoke on Leviticus, and he had a little Bible. It was, I mean, I could hardly see the Bible, never mind the print. No notes, and f for a week he expounded verse by verse through the book of Leviticus. It was incredible. Wow. Set yourself goals. Determine that by the grace of God, that's what I want to be. I want to know the Word of God like that. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. 
Set yourself some objectives. What, what would you like to... Uh, there, when I, I have a friend, he's actually is in uh, an assembly in Lake Howell in Orlando area, and uh, he had a profound influence on me, and I remember saying, when I'm his age, I want to be just like him. He used to say it was, you know, if you, if you poked him, scripture came out. I mean, this guy just knew the scripture. So and I said, that's my goal. I want to be just like that guy. And, and how's that going to happen? Am I going to just drift into becoming like, no. You have to have a plan, right? You've got to be disciplined. You've got to say, he said, well, we're busy. I know you're busy. But you know what the interesting thing is? It's not as intimidating as you think. We just said you can read through the Bible in a year, 30 minutes a day. Can you find 30 minutes to read through the Bible in a year? I think you can. Bible study. You know, we think, I've got to have seven hours to study the Scriptures. Whoever gets seven hours to study the Scriptures? Listen, just talk to your wife and say, you know, listen, uh, honey, I need a desk and I need to leave my books out. Don't be t- tidying up and just, just give me this little corner. You can have the rest of the house. I just need this little corner. And let me leave my books out. And, and you do it in 15-minute snatches. I'll often go and I'll look at a passage and I might even get a word or a verse done. And then there's a honeydew to be done. You see, I'm away a lot. When I'm home, stuff needs to be done. So I'll go do the honeydew, and I'll come back, and I'll do another 15 minutes. And you know, pretty soon, I've gone through the whole chapter. 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. It's, it's doable. It really is. You can know the Scriptures well, if you really want to. And we need to. You know why we need to? Because there are men in the pulpits today that are deceivers and the best guarantee for a safe pulpit is an educated pew in other words if you know the scriptures well you can say I don't care if it's Mike Atwood up there or Randy Amos it doesn't make any difference I'm going to check it out with the scriptures and you better do that right and, and so it's, it behoves you to know the scriptures now not just know them intellectually because there's a problem with that isn't there what does the scripture say knowledge puffs up and we can be walking Bible dictionaries. What we need is to learn how to apply the Scriptures. So look at, with me at the book of Ezra. And I, I really appreciate, uh, again, as I said this morning, uh, in my reading scheme, uh, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm going through Ezra. And, yeah, I went through it six months ago, but this time it's just fresh and it's new and it's exciting. And Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Notice the order of this. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. See, it's really a heart issue, isn't it? It's like prayer. It's, It's a heart issue. Do I really have the heart... To desire a relation, a, a more intimate relationship with God. So I spend more time with Him in prayer. Do I, desire, I have a heart to understand this message through the Scriptures. Well, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And then notice the next bit. This is a critical thing. And to do it. That's the key, isn't it? So uh, as you study the Scriptures, as I study the Scriptures, the first application that is ever made is to your own heart. Before I ever preach a sermon to you, you know what? It's already been preached twice. One to my own heart and the other to my wife. Now, the reason I do it to my wife, not that she's in great need. She, I need it more than she does, but because she usually kind of test drives my, my sermons, you know, and she'll say, you know, I'll say something and she'll say, so what? In other words, 
What's the implication of what you just say? Think it through, you know, apply it. You say, that's good. You know, wives are really good. If you listen to them, they can really help you. And, and so the idea is that, that the first thing is as you study the passage, you apply it to your own heart. Right? Because we, we don't want to just be people trafficking in the truth, but we're not really serious about dealing with it ourselves. And so he, he, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And I think that's a good methodology. And, and so, again, we need to be those that are obeying the word of God. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But I want to think about another thing, and that's hearing the word of God. The Word of God puts tremendous emphasis on, on hearing properly the Word of God. Remember the Lord Jesus as he addresses the seven churches of Asia Minor? He keeps saying, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And the idea is that it's possible to have, he, have he ears, but not have ears to hear, isn't it? In other words, I've had people say to me, about different issues in scripture before I ever get up to speak I don't care what you're going to say I'm not going to do it I know you think that's a shock but that's actually been said to me in other words they have ears but they don't have ears to hear they've already made their minds up they're not even open to what God says in the Bible and so, so there's a tremendous importance on, on the attitude towards hearing the word of God and uh, it's amazing how we, we talked this morning about how the prayers of godly women can change the whole course of the spiritual history of a nation. I want to tell you that the, the attitude towards hearing the scriptures, there are certain assemblies that I preach in and there are women there. And I love preaching in those assemblies. You know why? Because they're really listening. They're watching you. They're coming off the seat. You quote scripture. They're mouthing it to you. And preaching is a two-way street. I don't know if you realize that. That's why, you know, sometimes it's pretty slim pickings out there. But it's, it's a two-way street. We feed off the audience. You know, we're, we're kind of bottom feeders, I think. But we, we do feed off the audience. And uh, I was uh, over in England last, uh, last February. And uh, there was three assemblies that I was speaking in and after uh, the series of meetings in these three assemblies the group of us got together and, and two of these other guys preach in those same three assemblies and so I just asked them a question which of the three assemblies do you prefer to preach in and they all said the same assembly Hare Hills Gospel Hall in Leeds and so I said why and they all said the same thing Margaret Dewhurst I said yep I agree that's my favorite assembly to preaching, and that's the reason why. This sister is so excited about the Word of God that when you preach, she is literally glowing, and she's coming off the seat at you, and she's nodding, and she's so with you, and afterwards she always comes up, and, oh, that was such a good... And, and it just, it's tremendous. I just feel like I'm preaching to her, everybody else. I don't even, even look at them. <laughs> and it, it really makes a difference. You, you can make a huge difference in this assembly if you're a sister without ever standing behind a pulpit, without ever publicly praying, you can change the whole atmosphere of this assembly. Do you know that? And, and I've seen it. I've experienced it. And many others have. And so uh, our attitude toward the Word of God as we're listening. You know, note-taking, that can be a good thing, although it can be a dangerous thing. You know, you, you kind of take notes and then what do you do with them? What do you do with them? You know, what I find is more helpful is I, I, when I'm listening to a message, as well as listening because I want to learn from the brother that's speaking, but also I do a to-do list. If there are things where I really feel the Spirit of God is speaking to my heart, 
I write it down. I need to do something about this. You see, we can have shelves of notebooks, of sermons that we have taken notes from and essentially leave unchanged. What does James say about that? There's a guy, he looks in the mirror. And he sees that, well, his hair's out of place and there's a lot of stuff that needs correction. And he walks away from the mirror and he forgets what he saw. And he said, what about this guy? <laughs> it didn't do him any good looking in the mirror, did it? He's essentially unchanged. On the other hand, if you look in the mirror and you see something that needs correcting and you correct it, this man is blessed, right? Because God's word has changed him. Now, let's just be honest. How many messages have you heard in this assembly over the years? Do you think you where you ought to be spiritually as a result of the light you've had? How many messages have you just heard? And maybe even said that was a good message or whatever, but actually done nothing, nothing with it. Isn't that the problem with us today? We... We know a lot about the Bible, but we're not really essentially changed by it. And the reason is a lack of application of the truth of God. So can I ask you this morning, how many of you determined to make a prayer list? How many of you determined to set aside time to meet with God to pray? How many of you determined, I will be at the prayer meeting, I'm going to make that my priority? How many of you, you know, kind of made any conscious, intelligent decision based on what you heard. You know why? Because light brings responsibility. It does. And rejection of light is a very serious thing. If you turn your back on light, what do you get? Darkness, don't you? And, and we need to respond to the light. And we need to be those that obey the word of God. And we need to be those that have a warm attitude towards it and listen with, with, with an intense desire to apply it to our lives. And you know the amazing thing is that, that even unbelievers, when they apply biblical principles in their lives, it makes a difference. To give you an example of that, uh, after the Second World War, you know that uh, Japan's um, emperor was considered a living deity. And there God lost. Right? They lost the war. And because they lost the war, uh, the U.S. actually decided that Japan needed missionaries because there were people were, there's a huge vacuum. People were devastated because their God had just lost. So there was a great move in this country to send missionaries to Japan. And the response was very poor in terms of Japanese people coming to a personal faith in Christ. But one of the things that they adapted was the Protestant work ethic. From all the Bible teaching, that was one thing they latched on to. And, do you think that had an effect in Japan? Most of you, you look out in the car park, what kind of cars are you driving? Right? They, they, kinda, they took a principle from the Word of God, and God's Word is true, no matter who responds to it, isn't it? Uh, I, see, uh, I see Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and I'll tell you something, they're, they're, what they believe is absolute error. But I see similar people in their neighborhood and they're a lot better living than the other neighbors because to what extent you apply principles from the Word of God it's going to affect you in a positive way, isn't it? 
Now they saved, not at all, right? Because if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. The Bible's really clear. And I'm not, but what I am saying is, the Bible does have a positive effect on cultures even, to the extent we apply its principles to our lives. So how much more for us that are truly born again, if we really start to apply the word of God to our lives, will it make a difference? <clears throat> well, that should be our goal, shouldn't it? In every way. Uh, D.L. Moody, <clears throat> he said, in the flyleaf of his Bible, this book will keep me from sin, and sin will keep me from this book. That's true, isn't it? If you're feeding your flesh on sinful stuff, your Bible will lose its luster to you. You just won't have the same appetite for it. On the other hand, if you're in the Word of God, you won't have the same appetite for the things of the flesh. And so again, it, it, it's going to have a profound effect on you. Uh, I, I love David. You know, hiding God's Word in your heart is a tremendous thing, isn't it? Psalm 119. We just, we just were talking about that. We read from there. I want to read another verse uh, from there. Psalm 119, verse 11. <clears throat> and I, I, I know you're probably very familiar with this, but it's a very, very important verse. Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I really believe that if we allow the word of God to be hid in our hearts, it is a great preventative against sin. I, I can think of several examples in my own experience where a very genuine temptation has come my way and the Spirit of God has brought a scripture that I've memorized to my mind and it changed the course of my decision. Even in simple things, I've probably given this illustration before, if I have, forgive me, but I remember when we were in New Tribes and in their training school, uh, at the Bible school in England at Matlock, we, we had to do what they called work detail every afternoon, and we'd do three hours of work detail, and it would keep the cost down, all the rest of it, and it was good free labor from the students. So anyway, my job was to uh, clean the bathrooms, and um, they were the cleanest bathrooms I'd ever seen in my life to begin with, but we had to clean them. And we had to wash the walls down the walls down every day and they were immaculate and I'm a short guy and it was an eight foot see and I had to go get a ladder and go through this ritual and wash it all down and you know what it didn't look any different when I'd done and so one day I'm really tempted nobody would ever know if I didn't do it well that's not true is it because somebody would know 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 2, I think it is. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Came right into my mind at that particular moment. Now, why did that verse come at that particular time? Because I was tempted to be unfaithful in, in a simple thing. It wasn't, look, I had three hours to spend there anyway. I might as well wash the walls down. So guess what? I went and got the ladder and I washed. Did it look any different? No. Nope. But my conscience was clear. You know what the price or the value of a clear conscience is? It's tremendous, isn't it? And, and God says something in His Word. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you know what He says? I'll give you bigger things to do. See, there's just one example of one scripture taken in and hidden in your heart that prevents unfaithfulness. Now, it might be further down the road that the temptation could be a much more serious thing. 
But you see, when we start to win the little battles, God gives us more con- con- conviction and strength to be able to fight the bigger battles. And, and so these are very important things. You know, go back to Psalm 119, and, and our time has gone here, but isn't it amazing, Psalm 119, <clears throat> that David sits down and writes 176 good things that he can think about God's Word. Isn't that a great exercise? If we all went home and got a sheet of paper and started writing down what we think about God's Word and how we value it, would we come up with 176 verses? <laughs> this guy loved the Scriptures, didn't he? And um, <clears throat> for you and I, my desire and my prayer is that we as believers will be disciplined in our Christian life. Disciplined in prayer indisciplined in our relationship with the Word of God. How we read it, how we hear it, how we apply it, how we study it. That the Word of God will have the highest priority in our lives. Like Job, that we'll say, I have esteemed, because these are the words of his mouth, aren't they? All scriptures given by inspiration of God. I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. So how do you value the Word of God? Your discipline this coming week will be an indication of how you value the Word of God. You will never drift into being a Bible student and a man of the Word or a woman of the Word. It's not going to happen. You've got to make a plan and work the plan. And they tell me 21 days is all it takes to form a habit. I think that's true. You can stick at this for 21 days, you will be hooked on reading through the Bible. Can I challenge you to do it? If I ever get invited back, I'm going to ask you how you do it in your Bible reading. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we again just want to begin this evening with tremendous gratitude in our hearts that you have seen fit to give us the Holy Scriptures, the inspired, infallible Word of God, in our own language. Father, we think that tonight there are people in this world that don't even have a single word of Scripture in their mother tongue. And here we are. We've got more translations than we know what to do with. So we're a people that are certainly bathing and basking in light. But you've also said, Father, in your word, to whom much is given, much will be required. We, we take that very seriously. And we ask that you'd help us to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That we would avail of the scriptures. We would study them, read them, treasure them, value them, and apply them. Most of all, so that we might be more like your son, the Lord Jesus, and less like self. Father, we think of the Lord Jesus. We thought of him this morning as the dependent man who was seen often a great while before day in communion with thee, O Father, as an example to us of the importance of prayer. And yet we see him again in the wilderness. And we see as the enemy comes again and again, he keeps saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And Father, we again are mindful of the example of our blessed Savior. We ask that we might be people who when faced with the corrupting philosophies of this world 
and the lies of the evil one will be able to stand our ground and say on the authority of the word of God it is written and we'll give thee the glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen